Welcome to Perfectly Imperfect, a podcast on mental health for folks of color. I'm your host, John Zell Anderson, licensed professional counselor. I'm the owner of Panoramic Counseling, where I specialize in treating teens and young adults in Richmond, Virginia, and throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia through online counseling. Let's get into the show. Okay, we are recording now. Um, hello, everyone. My name is John Zell Anderson. I'm a licensed professional counselor and owner of Panoramic Counseling. Uh, today, I have a special guest, uh, Dr. Lakeisha Roney. Um, she was one of my supervisors during my residency to get my counseling license, and she is a wealth of knowledge and experience on the topic we're going to discuss today, which is, um, I'm calling it um, mental health and racism. Um, and we're going to kind of scratch the surface on that topic because it this could be a ongoing like convention that we spend around the clock talking about. But we're just going to touch on some basics today. Uh, Dr. Roney, can you um, tell a little bit about yourself to the listeners? Okay, well, um, like John Zell said, I'm Dr. Lakeisha Roney. I have a bachelor's of science degree in psychology um, and a master's in education and counseling from the Virginia State University. I have a doctorate in education and counseling psychology with a concentration in counselor education and supervision from Argosy University. I've been a licensed professional counselor in the state of Virginia since 2005. And in 2007, I opened up my private practice, which is Inner Self Counseling and Consulting LLC. Um, I'm a registered LPC supervisor, LMFT supervisor, and a licensed um, substance abuse um, practitioner supervisor as well. I did not know that. And, one. Uh, yeah, and um, also registered CSAC supervisor. Um, I'm a member of um, the Virginia Counseling Association. Um, and I'm currently the president of the Richmond Area Counselors Association and recently found out that I became the Virginia Counseling Association um, chapter chair president for the state of Virginia. So I'm excited about that new role. And so um, member of the American Psychological Association. Um, I've done a lot of uh, work in the field, over 20 years of experience. Um, providing services with the Community Services Board, inpatient settings, um, outpatient settings, um, community-based settings, residential settings, and um, full-time, I am the <laughs> Executive Clinical Director at um, Hype Counseling Services in mm -hmm. Richmond. Um, and I've also done some academic work at um, South University in their Department mm -hmm. of Psychology. And um, I was a previous counseling center director at my alma mater, Virginia State University as well. Mm -hmm. um, I love working with children and adolescents. That's my favorite population. Mm -hmm. And um, I also enjoy providing EAP counseling. When I get an opportunity, I do a lot of supervision and I don't have a lot of opportunity to see clients. And I have a beautiful five-year-old boy I was going to tell the, the listeners that you do all of these like 20,000 different things and you have a kid. Um, yeah. He doesn't sleep, y'all. He, he is awesome. 
He is just fantastic. He's five now? He is five. Wow. He is five. He is bright. He is sweet. And he is a child that has autism spectrum. He is high I'm going to share the link in this um, this um, post when I post it on my website. I'm going to share the link to the interview we did about uh, autism and kind of the story you shared with me about um, your son. I think people will definitely get a lot from that. Cool. I like to share that because sometimes people have this thought about what that is and what a parent of a child that has autism is and how it impacts their lives. And I like to mm -hmm. share that to let people know that they are not alone. Definitely. And I enjoy hanging out with my family and friends and, you know, just enjoying life. That's kind of about Great. it. So needless to say, she's, you're very qualified <laughs> to, to talk about uh, this topic today. Um, a little bit of background, uh, and I shared this with you, uh, Dr. Brony, but my reason for kind of wanting to talk about this topic is um, based on two recent incidents that happened um, to me. Um, the first being a few years ago, back when you knew me in my residency, I was um, working, you know, 12,000 different jobs, and I, one of, <laughs> uh, two of them was driving for Lyft and Uber. And one night I was uh, driving, I believe it was for Lyft, uh, and I was going to pick up a passenger, right? And there was like police regulation of traffic. It was like a downtown festival. And out of nowhere, I see this bright light in my face. I'm just like mm -hmm. cruising at a slow speed uh, to go pick up my passenger. Police shines this really bright light in my face and then tells me to put the window down. And it escalated so quickly to where I probably went into the fight, flight, freeze type thing. And all I remember, and I processed it the next day, basically, I kind of just tuned out. But the man, like, it, it, I wasn't doing anything, but it was like, I have the ability to end your life. Um, was what was told to me. And even the passenger that got in the car was just like, what was that? Like, that was so mm -hmm. wrong. And I kind of just zoned out and just kept doing what I was doing. And then more recently, uh, my wife and I just purchased a house in, um, it's, it feels like I live in Mayberry. Um, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's a small town. Uh, and, uh, you know, as a homeowner, I, I you know, I, I, you know, run through my neighborhood, you know, for exercise, I go on walks, I take the dog out, you know, I feel comfortable here. But randomly, I was just going down my street last, I think it was last week, and clearly a racist, you know, decided that I didn't belong and just cussed me out right in the middle of the street. Um, and uh, really like got up very close and um, it, it was very jarring. And so uh, rather than just write my own experiences about it, I thought, why don't I get an expert in this area to talk about it? Because as a, you know, we know we've seen the news, right? We know that mm -hmm. there's uh, the current political climate, whether you, anybody wants to admit it or not, it's created an environment for people who were low-key racist to thrive um, mm -hmm. without getting too political. 
And so today I'm just going to talk with you a little bit about, or I'm going to ask you some questions just to kind of provide some more light on those things. Is that okay with you? Most definitely. Okay. So um, the first question is given um, our own experiences, and I speak for both of us, I'm sure you have stories to tell uh, about experiencing racism and also being a, a woman. Um, there, you know, discrimination is across the board, right? Um, but given our experiences, we know that there's a ton of ways that, you know, in our experiences being therapists as well, we know there's a ton of ways that racism can impact our mental health. Can you share with the listeners some specific symptoms or diagnoses that can result from um, uh, racism in its variety of forms? Okay. So symptoms and diagnoses. Well, well First of all, you know, I think it's important for us as uh, people that are in the mental health field to normalize our experiences mm -hmm. um, in order to help normalize our clients' experiences. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes, I guess, that power differential, they see us in a different light. Sometimes they put us up on a pedestal. Mm -hmm. and um, We live in the world, they, too. Yeah, we live in the world too. And sometimes our experiences are very much parallel to theirs. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes they can be a point of connection in therapy when we're able to at least can share that commonality or be more empathetic or even at times when it is appropriate to self-disclose mm -hmm. certain things that happen to us um, as a way of helping a client or um, building rapport in, in those type of things. So I think that is very important in the therapeutic process. Mm -hmm. um, so when I am working with a client that has experienced racism, I let them know personally how I'm impacted by racism on a daily mm -hmm. basis. Um, I may not experience it in the way that they experience it because a lot of our clients that we're dealing with i think that they may experience the structural aspects of racism mm -hmm. i think those things impact them on a different level than they impact us because we have a lot of privilege yeah um, we have educational privilege we have socioeconomic privilege um, in some cases, we may have um, privilege in proximity, where you live, mm -hmm. yeah. um, privilege in um, our ancestry. You know, mm -hmm. you, you may have one parent who's from a different ethnicity than the other parent. So sometimes mm -hmm. that is a privilege within itself. Yeah. yeah. So um, when we as people in the mental health field recognize our privilege, but also recognize that commonality, I think that breaks down the barrier in the counseling relationship mm -hmm. and allows for more openness. And we cannot always rely on the client to talk about the elephant in the room. It has to be us. Yes. You know? So I may disclose to the client that, you know, racism makes me feel on guard when I'm in public mm -hmm. places, when I'm the minority. Or I might feel that I have to be twice as good as someone else in the workplace mm -hmm. or in academia because I am a, a person of color. And because I'm a woman of color, I'm a double minority, so I have to be even better. I have to Definitely. constantly prove myself. 
or when I go out in public or in certain social settings, I feel like I have to present myself and my family in a certain way in order to be respected, mm -hmm. acknowledged, and not to be profiled. And how that, that causes me um, anxiety at times. Mm -hmm. um, or that I am fearful of traveling to certain parts of this country due to how African Americans have been historically treated and currently treated. Yeah. And then as a woman of color, if I'm mistreated or killed, I am even concerned, am I going to get justice? Mm -hmm. That's real. Yeah. So regardless of whether um, I make a certain amount of money and where I live or how much education or how many letters I have behind my name, I still have those concerns as a black woman. Mm -hmm. And then as a mother as of a five-year-old black boy mm -hmm. who will eventually become an adult black man, mm -hmm. I have a responsibility. His father has a responsibility to prepare him for this for world, world that, that is, he will enter. Yes, definitely. Because he, he's going to be cute until he turns about seven or eight. Mm -hmm. He's going to be real cute. But then once he turns 12, He's going to be perceived as a threat, like mm -hmm. Tamir Rice. Mm -hmm. And that's the reality that we live in. And I try to remain positive, but it's that in the, the subconscious, mm -hmm. these thoughts that go through your head about what may happen or the preparation that you have to do in order to survive. Mm -hmm. that causes the anxiety. Yeah, and I think that's the the anxiety that kind of triggered this topic for me because I'm like, you know, and both times the stories that I shared, I was like, I was a, I was a working therapist, whether I was doing a side thing as a Lyft driver is neither here nor there. But to me, I'm like, I, yeah, I, th I mean, I have a master's degree, right? Like I, I, work in mental health, I I'm pay my taxes. Like I, I've never had a criminal history, right? But mm -hmm. that, like you said, the education, like, yeah, we definitely have privilege as far as, you know, where we live and uh, things like that. But the color, it, it's, it really is, it's anxiety provoking for me that the color of my skin can still make me a target. Despite yeah. doing everything right i never hurt anybody i try to do good you know it and the the toll on your mental health the anxiety i mean uh ptsd i'm sure is uh common among people who experience recurrent racism most definitely ptsd depression stress anxiety um not to mention the the health inequities poor health outcomes in general mm -hmm. um and un undiagnosed and untreated of these conditions manifest themselves in physical uh, ailments Most. as well. Most Blood pressure, um, heart disease, diabetes. I mean, it, it all is connected. Mental health and all physical connected. health are together. And you wouldn't even know it, but increased um, infant mortality rates. Wow. I did not know that. Yes. Um, Behavioral issues, attention deficit disorder, mm -hmm. 
um, I was reading an article and they talked about when children observe racism, it erodes the self-esteem and mental health, and it mm -hmm. even impacts developmental milestones. Wow. Just from them observing racism. Mm -hmm. It's vicarious uh, trauma. It it's is. It's never called that. Racism is trauma. Right. It is trauma. Mm -hmm. It's significant trauma. And those, um, when, when people think about racism, they oftentimes think about um, the micro assaults, like being called a nigga or mm -hmm. being called a spick. That's outright racist act. But we have to think about the, the micro insults, those small microaggressions that occur on a regular basis. Those are more damaging over time Mm -hmm. than the micro insults where someone is directly spit at or directly targeted because mm -hmm. of their race. Yes. I mean, how many times can you deal with um, a person drawing their purse in when you get on the elevator mm -hmm. or you being ignored when you go in the, the store and refuse help or um, being told that, Oh, you're so eloquent. You speak well. Why wouldn't I speak well? Hmm. That's a slap in the face if there ever was one. Right. Yeah. So over time, those micro insults, those things build up. And it, it begins to impact your psyche and you begin to doubt yourself. Over time, people of color, they feel unsafe. They feel depressed, angry, angry and powerless. And if and that you're feeds into an the cycle. If you're becoming anxious, angry, depressed as a result of the environment, then it reaffirms the perceived stereotype that you're trying to break free of. It's it's kind of like a circular trap. It's like a, a hamster wheel. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Definitely. And if you're an immigrant, you're constantly targeted Oh regardless of where yes. you're first especially now in these days yeah i thought that this like as a child you know studying like the the civil rights movement and stuff i really i guess i was in the prime of like when we were all comfortable um like the 90s and early 2000s before 9 11 and all of that kind of threw us all for a loop and I always like looked at it as, wow, this was what life looked like um, in the past. And it was more so like, a, this is a fun story to look back on. I'm glad things are better now. <laughs> and then to be an adult and to really like, I didn't, there were little micro racism things as a child because my mother is white and my father is black, right? Um, and there's even something called colorism where people of color are racist towards people who, for example, have a lighter skin tone or, um, you know, there's, there's layers to racism. There's racism within races. Uh, so, but it's, but it's uh, actually, you know, it's based on colonialism. And hmm. when you live in a white supremacy society there, they try to create systems in hmm. order to um, create division amongst the people. Mm 
because um, then you can continue to oppress people. Mm-hmm. So colorism was a way of doing that, just not within, you know, population of African-Americans that were enslaved. This happened mm-hmm. all across the world. Yes. Wherever the Europeans populated, they used colorism as a way to divide the people. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about um, generational PTSD. I've been hearing a lot about that. Um, another term for that is um, intergenerational mm-hmm. PTSD. And I really like the work of um, Dr. Guri. Mm-hmm. Um, she coined the phrase post-traumatic slave syndrome. Wow. She has a master's in social work, a master's in clinical psychology, and a doctorate in social work. And the focus of her research was on the intersection between racism, trauma, violence, um, within the American chattel slavery system. Mm. And the way she describes it's a whole theory. It's a multi-generational trauma. So when you think about slavery in America, You have 300 years of slavery. Mm -hmm. Individuals were captured, shipped, sold, beaten, raped, Mm -hmm. experimented on for that 300 years. That's trauma. Mm -hmm. Then they were freed and there was no help. Mm -hmm. No resources. None whatsoever. Then after they were freed, there were even more trauma. So think about Jim Crow. Mm Civil you can't rights access movement. the economy. You can't have the liberty. What is it? The right to liberty. Um, In the pursuit of happiness. Exactly. That, yes. And then you're terrorized. Bom- mm-hmm. Church bombings, lynchings, mm-hmm. um, being denied housing, being denied all sorts of rights, rights to vote, rights to live freely and do what you need to do as a per- human being. Mm-hmm. And then even um, today, you see like a kind of resurgence of that with um, the high levels of police shootings, and um, it, it's the the targeting, right? Or the the perspective or the uh, stereotype is influencing behaviors, even on that side of things. It's like it's coming back. It feels like it's resurging again. Sometimes, it never went anywhere. It didn't. But I mean, you know, I, I, I think for me, it, it looks like, you know, from childhood going into adulthood, it looks like the, I didn't really see this. And now it's like, wow, this is really, but yeah, I guess if you look back in the 90s, it, there's so many instances that where this has been going on since slavery, right? Um, they, went from, they went from hoods to uniforms. Mm-hmm. It yeah. just changed in or either suits yeah. and became reporters mm-hmm. yeah. or politicians. Yes. It it changed its face. Yeah. But it's still the same system. Yes. Okay. So I So after I, the after the more trauma there was no help. So this is sustained trauma. And the mm-hmm. impact is also sustained and people develop adaptive behaviors in order to deal with that trauma. So that's the way she describes it. Okay. And I'm then, definitely going to need um, to look into her research. And then look into um, 
epigenetics, which is the study of changes in organisms or genes based on um, trauma. A lot of good work has been done. Um, Dr. Rachel Yehuda okay. has a lot of research on trauma and, and genetics. Okay. And how the genes have, it's, it's almost like a transfer of the trauma through genes. Mm -hmm. And then the combination of the nature and nurture stuff. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. I can see how it works um, if you're predisposed genetically, but then the recurrence of systems that keep things a certain way, it repeats over and over again. It's right. from a bird's eye, it's very interesting to look at, but it's also like very like, it, it's kind of, um, it throws me for a loop sometimes how like, real this is and how applicable it is to everyday life. As I look at the time, I I was probably very ambitious in all of the questions I was going to ask you today, but I think I have about maybe four to five minutes until the thing cuts out on us. Um, okay. So um, I guess we'll just kind of conclude with what would you say is are some actionable steps that everybody can take. And this is not just people of color. This is everybody. We're all in this together. We've been hearing a lot of that lately, um, whether it's from a genuine place or not. So right. what are, what would you say are a couple of actionable steps that we can take to um, either raise awareness of the impacts of uh, racism on mental health or um, just give me some of those insights real quick. Okay. That's a good conclusion. Um, the first one is kind of directed to counselors, but it's also applicable to anyone. Um, mm -hmm. Dr. Daryl Wing Sue, one of the, the four running researchers for multiculturalism and counseling, mm -hmm. um, talks about the need for us to talk about race and racism more openly. A lot of people mm -hmm. want to talk around it instead of talking about it openly. Yeah. Um, he says that no one is immune from racial bias. All of us have racial bias and we need to talk Definitely. about it. And we need to be willing to admit to the existence of bias and be willing to make mistakes, even if that includes accidentally offending someone. But we need Humility to have these crucial. conversations. Most definitely, most definitely. Um, Lance Smith, who's a researcher that focuses on um, automatic bias, we have been programmed to think that white is right. <laughs> mm -hmm. And because of that, we need to be aware that as counselors, when clients come in, we sometimes distinguish who we will take into our practice based on name. Um, one okay. of the studies that he conducted was about um, calls being made from a client named Allison or Lakeisha. I like that because it has my name. And I know mm -hmm. that I have been discriminated against because of my name. Mm -hmm. But Me too. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> so clients named Allison were re received a return call from a practitioner 63% of the time. But Lakeisha only received 51% of the calls back. Wow based on perceived race. Wow. And that was indicated by name. And we're always looking as practitioners, 
well, what's going on with the African-American population? Is this a help-seeking behavior? And is it because they don't have counselors in their neighborhood? Or maybe it's economics, and maybe it's a lack of insurance and all these other things. Well, maybe it's you. Mm. Definitely. So as That's counselors, huge. we need to look at our own bias about who we're accepting and why we're not accepting certain clients. And what's the what would be the last takeaway? Because I, I don't want it to like cut off, but um, it this uh, platform is pretty time limited. So what would you say is like the general public uh, approach to um, that they uh, actionable steps? And if it cuts off people, my apologies, but <laughs> go for it. Um, solutions would be seek fairness, justice, safety, and equity for everyone. Um, because if not, it will impact you and it will impact your children in the long run. Yes. So whether it's in schools, whether it's financial, whether it's housing, whether it's mm -hmm. mental health services, whether it's youth incarceration, community resources, you have to be an activist for everyone. It's not about you and your child. It's about everyone. So Definitely. we have to be advocates. Okay. That's so powerful. And I think you said it so concisely, but it's much, much easier said than done, right? It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a huge thing that we all need to work towards every day, I think. Yeah. So thank you so much, Dr. Roney, for uh, taking this time to talk with me. Um, I've learned a lot just in this short amount of time. Uh, and I'm sure that the, the um, I say listeners, they're going to get so much from uh, just seeing uh, and, and hearing from you. So I definitely appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today. Well, thank you, Johnsville. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in. Okay. Anchor is everything you need to make a podcast. And best of all, it's free. They offer creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor also distributes your podcast, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, and many more. Did I mention that you can make money from your podcast no matter the size of your following? Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. If you enjoyed this episode, you can support this podcast by buying me a coffee. The link is in this episode's show notes. Thanks in advance.